Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Hello there. It's Wood Talk number 130 for April 24th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about Nordfab ductwork, European-style saws, availability of quarter-sawn wood, round versus square dog holes, thin curve blades, smoothing expensive woods, uh, cutting up burl, and graduating from shop projects to real furniture. But before we get to all that stuff, let's hear from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by Hardwood To Go, your source for wood on the web. Visit them online at hardwoodtogo.com and pick your boards or send them an email for a custom order. We're woodworkers just like you, and we're happy to help you find the right wood for your next project. Use coupon code WOODTALK to receive 10% off your order. Offer good till May 31st, 2013. And by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at FestoolUSA.com. FestoolUSA.com. Hey, I had one of the guys from Festool stop at my shop the other day. You did. Um, you get them to make house calls? They do. They just come wow. and see how your stuff is doing. They check on it. They put, you know, put a little oil in it, tighten a few uh, bolts and things here here and there. It's uh nah, it was actually a lot of fun. Um but uh you know it's funny. I did spruce up the shop a little bit and move some of the Festool stuff toward the front. <laughs> just <to> kind of <laughs> make it look a little bit more. <laughs> I was just going to ask if he caught you like using that grizzly track saw or something when he walked in. No. Um yeah, someone left this here. <laughs> That's not <laughs> mine, I swear. <laughs> Actually, you run around like throw some sawdust on it to like try and give it that like really used look, like yeah. recently used. <laughs> well, technically, it does belong to someone else. We just don't know who won it yet. Um, you know, I wanted to mention real quick that we do have a new email subscription. We've had it for a little while now, and I keep forgetting to mention it. If you want to receive specifically Wood Talk Show updates, so that's just Wood Talk shows and uh, the review show. You could sign up for this and it will just send you an email automatically every time we have a new show out. So to sign up for this, go to woodtalkshow.com. In the left-hand column at the very bottom, you'll see receive show updates via email. Just uh, put your email in there and that's really all it's going to be used for is to blast out a notification that a show is available for uh, your listening pleasure. And if you uh, are in your inbox all day, this is a great way to not miss any of the shows. Yeah, we, we promise not to sell your email list. For a small amount of money. Yes, only for large amounts of money. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, so let's move into what's on the bench. Shannon. Well, um, let's see. I uh, built a tool cabinet a while ago, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> I was doing some work in the shop, and I went over the tool cabinet to pull out a plane from the top section, and the door wouldn't move. Don't. <laughs> Don't. It, yeah, I hate they, that. The, the 80-some percent humidity in my shop because it got uh, it got kind of warm here for a little while, and then we had a cold front come through. So, like, everything just got really damp, mm. and it rained for a couple of days. And, um, you know, you could actually hear the wood moving in my shop. Oh, geez. <laughs> and I, uh, I went and pulled, and, I mean, it didn't take much before I got the thing loose, um, before the door opened. It's just those big clamshell-style doors on a tool cabinet. Yeah. But the issue is, is I overlaid a, a mitered half lap frame and panel over the top of it. So I've got grain kind of moving in a couple different directions because I've got flats on grain down on top on the edge of the clamshells. And uh, it, it just, you know, I had to take them off the hinges and hit them a couple passes of the plane and put them back up. But nice. this goes to show you that you're never done with a project when you think you're done. You know, I, so. that reminds me, I've had, um, I've had a drawer seize up on me and I think it was on my, probably one of the shaker tables that I did early on in the guild. 
and we just had a really, really uh, damp spell, which clearly is not common around here. So when it does get uh, humid out for a few a few weeks straight, it wreaks havoc on things. And this drawer was just seized up. It was not coming out without damaging something. So I was like, well, I guess I'm not getting to whatever's in there until <laughs> I wasn't going to force it. So I did. I had to wait till the uh, humidity went down when I was able to open it up again in the winter. Then I took it into the shop and planed it so that we don't have the same <laughs> we don't have the same problem say, next season. You should have just like cut a little coin slot on the top of the table and said, "Here you go, Mateo. This is your retirement, <laughs> your college fund. Yeah, your piggy bank. You know, just you know, drop drop money through the slot in the top, and nice. there you go. You can break it open. So later. Did the humidity come just because a neighbor turned on the sprinkling system out there or something? Is that what caused it? Um... <laughs> yeah, here it's uh it's the monsoon season. At the end of summer is actually pretty brutal, uh, but it's very short lived and it can really do some uh, some horrible things, but. All right, Matt, how about you? Well, the big thing I've been spending a lot of time on, and it's actually keeping me out of the shop at the moment, which is really kind of bothering me a little, <laughs> but not enough to actually get me down in the shop, is I've been cross-posting a lot of my YouTube videos over onto the onto the main website. I've been finding some some hidden little gems. In fact, I posted one on Facebook yesterday that just kind of kind of made me laugh a little bit because the big thing is I look at these and I either watch the length of my beard shorten and lengthen <laughs> depending on when it is, or the other thing is I, I see my family who apparently feel that I don't see them ever except for the occasional time that they show up in a video. And there was one that I'm like, oh, my God, I don't remember my kids being that small. How did, <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> wow. Very nice. So, but the uh, the other big thing I've been thinking about is uh, in honor of Safety Day coming up, I had mentioned that I'm going to be doing my full-on review of the saw stop. And the big question running in the house right now is what meat am I going to run through the saw to, to set off the break? <sighs> We're having a, a big debate. <laughs> Samantha would really like me to use the frozen chicken uh, drumsticks that are in the freezer that have mm-hmm. been sitting there for far too long. And I, I'm still thinking a little barbecue sauce on them this summer. They should be perfectly fine, so I don't know if I want to waste it. <laughs> I thought it might be fun to use maybe like a little kibasa or something. I don't know. It's still a big – it's a big debate going on right now. I think, so hopefully yeah. I'll know by then. I think you should just do a slab of St. Louis-style ribs. Mm. <laughs> like i mean if you're gonna do it just do full something rack. really yeah just a whole rack of ribs throw it on a, 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 a sled and go for it that sounds you know what i'm writing that one down i think <laughs> because but coincidentally the same day that the uh that should be getting posted and while at the same time i'm kind of working on this uh my favorite new barbecue pit in the area is going to be opening so maybe i'll go mm. over there and be like listen you want to do a little trading here you let me have some ribs like that whole couple of racks there i like and it. i'll mention you on my show there you go man <laughs> Nicely done. Better yet, just tell them that they're going to have ribs and just lure them down into the shop and use their finger. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I already am kind of creepy, so I, I think that would just push it over the edge in the neighborhood. I don't want to have that kind of reputation too much. <laughs> so, but anyway, so that's what's going on with me. How about you, Mark? What do you got going on? I actually had some time to sit down and edit footage that's been sitting there waiting to be edited so that people can see it. And one of those projects is the Thorson House visit that I did like months ago. Uh, seems forever ago, but this footage, it's something where like over time, I kind of just played it, played it down in my head. I didn't uh, really think I was missing too much by not feel or not actually doing the editing. But then I went and looked at it again and I'm like, this stuff is gold. Uh, this is like inside the Thorson house. A lot of the details is very much like the gamble house. The thing is you can't bring cameras inside the gamble house. You don't have this level of access. So I'm looking at this footage the other day going, this is awesome. Like I haven't actually <laughs> sat down and watched this yet. This is incredible stuff, and I'm super, super excited. I, I actually have it on the calendar now. I cannot wait to get this video out there for people to see it. Um, the inside of the, this house, despite the fact that it's actually a frat house now, is <laughs> absolutely 
amazing. It's just mind boggling. And it, and it's not quite as good a shape as some of the other um, green and green houses, but it's still there. It's still salvageable in a way. And um, it's just absolutely stunning. So I cannot wait to get that footage out to people. You should wow. set the theme to animal house for the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, it should be. You just you know, see, like, my fraternity has a, their own CD of uh, fraternity songs mm-hmm. uh, being sung by brothers from around the nation. Maybe I can get a copy for you. We can play that in go. the background. Well, the cool thing is this particular fraternity, um, all the brothers have to be educated in the history of the house. They have to be able to give tours uh, when public tours come in. So it's not exactly your average frat house. Um, and I think they, they have a certain respect for, for the house that, uh, you might not find elsewhere. Um, so it, it's, it's really cool. I think you guys are going to really like the footage. Um, and it's a very non wood whisperer video. It's very commercially in a sense. And I mean, I mean that in a sense, like music that I don't normally use and, um, a lot more professional than I normally film a video. Less lingerie and wigs. Yeah, no wigs, no lingerie, except for the frat brothers. Some of them were, you know, oh, you see one yeah. of them streaking by in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so pretty cool stuff. Uh, aside from that, I'm also getting ready for the tilt top table build coming up in the guild. And uh, it's kind of funny. Aaron mentioned this as a joke because the the design for the column that we we came up with is really, really straightforward. And we have two versions, more traditional and one that's straightforward. And he said, you know, it's actually not that far off from the profile of a baseball bat. So I was like, you know what? Why not? You know, let's let's <laughs> go get a Louisville slugger. Let's cut that thing up and see if we can actually use that in addition to doing it, you know, by turning our own and stuff. Um, I'm going to see if a baseball bat will work for this tilt top table. So, <laughs> that would actually be pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not going to hopefully won't look like a baseball bat when it's done, but it's it's an idea. It's something to try. Why the heck not? Yeah, I'd be absolutely. curious once you kind of start, quote, deconstructing it. Mm-hmm. I always wondered, like, I suppose I could Google this and look it up, but what kind of finish they put on those? You know, how mm. much is actually on that? Well, I believe they're all in maple now, I think. Well, there's maple and ash. And the one that I ordered is maple because I figured I'd li- I at least order a wood that I wouldn't mind looking at once it's uh, stripped down. It's got like half of it is finished clear, but the top half is black. So it's actually oh, painted. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm just going to scrape all the other you know the finish off and start over fresh but i can't imagine they put a whole lot it's probably just very low cost lacquer finish of some sort something quickly applied Um, but yeah that'll be interesting so uh, all right let's move to around the web i've got a couple of links in here i don't see any from you guys i'll i'll just run through these real quick slackers i'm gonna get caught up on my reading while you're doing that (laughs) okay why don't you go to the bathroom while you're at it that's a good idea thanks for reminding me okay uh this one was sent in from ken on facebook it is a um it's a woodwork joints book it looks like it's from the like early 20th century i think Hmm. i I don't i'm looking for dates on this thing but anyway it's an old book that's now sort of being put out there for public consumption by the gutenberg project or project gutenberg and it's available just for viewing right in your browser. So it's um, sort of woodworking basics, but it's really cool to see this stuff laid out in this way. And it's also very cool to see how little has changed. <laughs> you know, like right. Ultimately, oh. it's all just kind of the same stuff woodworkers have been doing for a very long time. None of this stuff is new, but uh, it's really cool to read. So perfectly free. 
Looks like I'm on the one thing. It says from the woodworker, January 1927. Look at this. This is pretty. I'm going to totally. Oh, yeah. I have a copy of this somewhere. Oh, cool. <laughs> the, the actual book. I, remember like, I don't know why me. that looks so familiar. <laughs> I think I actually stored this in my iBooks like years ago and forgot it was there. Yeah. And this is out there for, you know, uh, it's in the public domain now with pretty. They even say at the top pretty much no restrictions on what you can do with it and, and how you can use the information in it. So have at it. We'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, okay, we've got another one here. So, what is it? Okay, this is one that a few people sent me, so I'm not going to credit anyone in particular, but uh, The Butler Did It Woodworks. You might be familiar with that blog. Um, what is the gentleman's name? Todd? Todd? Todd, I think, I yeah. Todd Butler, I think. Okay, there you go. So Todd is giving away a starter set of tools, so like a, a very basic set of hand tools, chisels, a couple of planes, um, and you can enter to win this. And I believe all you really have to do is leave a comment explaining why you want this or why you would be a good candidate to receive this set of tools. Um, and you have a chance to win that. We'll put the link in the show notes there as well. And we got another one here. This is a tool database. And uh, this was, it's kind of neat. It's how do you, you guys, how would you pronounce that? The web address hing me or hinge my? I went with hinge my, but hinge I, I, because it doesn't have the E on the end, I, right. I think it's more the hing me. Yeah, so H-I-N-G-M-Y.com. And it's a wood uh, wood tool da- or woodworking tool database or even DIY tools. So basically, I just kind of combed through it, and there's a lot of tools in this database. There's a lot of reviews, a lot of uh, just sort of st- you could look at the stats and the uh, – information about these tools and it is exactly what he says it is he actually wrote us and said i'm trying to get a tool database off the ground and could use some feedback a few years ago i had trouble finding a good table saw since google did not let me search everything there is i decided to build my own database who wouldn't i was wondering uh, is a resource like this useful to you all so go check it out give us some feedback on it give uh, give them some feedback i'm sure they have a contact page and uh, see if it's useful to you Hmm, interesting. It'd be nice to have sort of like an end-all, be-all source for information on, on power tools, but I think to do that, they'd have to also um, collect information from other websites uh, and, and like pull, you know, sort of um, crowdsource other things that are out there to really get a good idea so it's not all coming from one source. Right. Yeah, there's I mean, no perfect did... solution other than wood talk. <laughs> That's true. There you go. This, is your all, this is the end-all, be-all source. Yeah, the folks over at toolselect.com, they have something similar, but of course that requ- requires people to actually enter it in there. Yeah. So oftentimes there are even blanks over there. It might be a nice way to kind of cross-reference things Isn't or get that an really, idea. That's really the, the, the big problem with stuff like this. It's a matter of audience participation, you know, and if you're, if you're counting on the, the, the people to populate this, then, I mean, it can grow fairly fast, but at the same time, there's a quality issue in terms of like the, the quality of the reviews. So, mm-hmm. so you got to have somebody who's like, you know, checking this stuff before it goes up. But um, but this one looks pretty solid, so check it out. Right. Uh, last thing I'll mention very quickly, um, Scott sent me this link to a hand plane class that's going on in Scottsdale this weekend, and they're running low on people. And I don't know if they're going to cancel the class if there's not enough, but they could use a couple more signups. Uh, this is a class with David Fleming. If you're in the Scottsdale area, you want to check this out. Um, and it's a basically a 9 to 5 day on hand plane basics. Uh, so Ooh. planing, tuning up, shooting boards, a um, bunch of stuff like that. Uh, so I will give you the link for that as well. Cool. Oh, that's too bad. I'm, I'm near the Scottsville area, <laughs> not Scottsdale. but not the Scottsdale. I'm actually thinking about going. Um, it's a little hard to get away for an entire Saturday. Um, and it's just one of those things I would, I, it just sounds fun to me to spend a day focusing on just hand plane basics. Heck um, yeah. I would wear my, I would wear my Shannon outfit <laughs> and I'd go there and say, Hey, I'm, I'm here. Let's do this. 
I want to know what that outfit is. <laughs> mm. Uh, with that Photoshop job that we got from from oh, someone Lord. recently, <laughs> I don't know, Shannon. It might be a dress. Mm. Um, all right. So let's go to the poll of the week. Uh, Tom had a really good one this week. He asked, are you happy with your shop? And uh, answers ranged uh, from I hate it to I love it. So uh, 43% of people said it needs some major improvements. 39 almost the same amount, said I could use some minor improvements. 8% said, I don't have a real shop. 7% said, I hate it and can't get can't wait to get out of it. <laughs> Sorry for those people. Uh, 4% say, I love it. It's perfect. And, and someone in the comments brought up a good point. They said there should have been an option for, I don't like it, but I'd rather be there than anywhere else or something like that. <laughs> Which really is so probably true, most yeah. of us, you know, um, regardless of your shop's condition, you probably like being there than most places. Yeah, there's been plenty of times that I'm like, I prefer being here until the family leaves. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, moving into our kickback. We, you know, we need a sound effect like someone getting kicked in the stomach. Or like, but <laughs> we know that's that's spring back. I'll find something. We'll have to do that. Um, if you want to take those, Matt. All right. The first one comes in from Nick, and Nick is uh says this is in response to episode number 129, where Shannon mentioned that he didn't like using epoxy because of the expense, and furthermore, the fact that you end up wasting a ton of epoxy because of the quote one big pump plus one small pump unquote mixing method. I first used West System epoxy a year or two ago when I needed to fill some knot holes on a beautiful piece of walnut that I was gifted. I ran into the same problem with the wasting of epoxy. And I found that I was creating a lot of epoxy casts of my mixing cups and wasting a lot of money in the process. You know, that reminds me of like when you kids would, uh, uh, you'll probably experience this at some point, Mark, when you do the plaster of Paris, put the, your hand in there and right. they get the impression. Mm -hmm. I probably, I think the epoxy might not be a good choice to go that way. So. <laughs> no, I don't know why. Not For healthy. some reason, it's just, mm, I, I think there'd be a lot of mommies <laughs> that would be upset about that. Maybe. But anyways, so he goes on to say, uh, not long ago, I serendipitously found this product in a boating store in Jamestown, Rhode Island, and we will have a link to this. Looks like it's a it's westmarine.com. Um, if I remember right, that is actually a store mm -hmm. for yeah. boating stuff. As he said, it's a boating store. Uh, the small scale allows you to create any size batch you want, eliminating the wastage problem. The only downside that I see is that if you have a basement workshop like me and Matt, someone peeking through the windows might mistake your shop for a meth lab. Uh, that's why I have no windows in my, my shop area because the, it's not just the meth lab that I, I'm worried about them thinking is going on in there. Good point. So um, anyway, so we'll have a link in there and that, that should be pretty interesting to check that out. I mean, anything, any opportunity to use uh, something as, as good as an epoxy for a lot of the things that we're doing and not have that, you know, the concern about the wasting, I'm all for it. Well, one thing I'm looking at with this kit, it comes with like little sticks and mixing cups and stuff that you probably don't really need. My question is, is this actually just a small scale, a digital scale, and that's it? Because if that's the case, you know, this is 46 bucks. You can get a small postage scale on Amazon for like 15 bucks, right. 20 bucks. So it looks like it's a scale, but it's just a small kit. And I guess if you, I know it's a five to one ratio for the West System stuff. And I'm wondering if that's, I always thought it was five to one by volume. I don't know if you could do a five to one by weight and still have it, or maybe they give you specifics on how to measure it out by weight and then you can use a scale to do it. Hmm, maybe. But yeah, you it, could save money on that if uh, if you just need a scale. Well, maybe right. this is where we need like somebody from the cooking podcast to come over and help us to scale down the recipes <laughs> you know, you or scale them up if necessary. So that way we just can completely skip this and keep using the West system. Sounds good. 
All right, let's see. What do we have next? Uh, the next one is from Don, and this is a follow-up to his Buck Brothers chisel. Mm-hmm. I heard you wanted the results, and Matt helped me trim out the scary data. I unfairly compared Buck Brothers yellow-handled chisels to my new Stanley Sweetheart 750 series chisels, and used, and some used Stanley Bailey 16-401 series bench chisels. Sorry, the, the dash threw me off for some reason. Uh, the test I did was simply using a hammer, using the same number of strikes on each, chopping on a piece of old red oak I was mortising. I tested three angles, 25, 30, and 35 degrees, each with micro bevels. At 25 degrees, the Buck Brothers actually appeared better. However, both Stanley's cut much, much better. And the differences in visual damage and performance diminished incrementally as the angles increased, as one might expect. In the end, both Stanleys exhibited better cutting performance throughout, better steel one might presume. And one key difference is that I could never get the Buck Brothers chisels sharper than, say, utility knife sharp. Hmm. That's sharp enough, uh, let's see, that's sharp, sharp enough to scrape some stubble off your face, but the Stanleys, I could get surgical sharp. Oh, that's scary. Which is where the hair just falls off your face as you glide the chisel over it. Yeah, that's for you, Mark, apparently. <laughs> Uh, Don's uh, apparently backing up your fan over at YouTube about your 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 uh, stubble there. You know what I have? I have a a razor that's like ten years old, and it's like for emergencies <laughs> only. And then I have my electric razor that has the little beard trimmer thing on it, and that's as close as I get. That's a close <laughs> shave for me, ladies. Get used to it. I just got to say, I really admire people like Don because this kickback made my brain hurt. And <laughs> I I just admire that there are people out there that have this kind of, you know not time on their hands, just stick to to do this kind of test. I just, thank you, Don. That's good to know. I would have and never I, done this. Yeah, if I remember right, this is the much shorter version of what was originally I turned it down. I turned it down. He gave us the, not only the angle, but the exact bevel, uh, micro bevel that was I on each one. <laughs> so I, I, I remember I, the original <laughs> email and I got like halfway through it. I'm like, I'm going to go build something. This yeah. is it. This hurts my head. But no, this is good information because I think we were talking about he he was looking, trying to figure out, was this the one where he was trying to figure out which one to dedicate to pairing and which one to... Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he so, was mortising and he kept folding the edge over and everything. Yeah. So this is basically kind of reiterating what we might have been able to guess is that these Buck Brothers chisels, you know, sort of the lower end of the scale, at best, he's only able to get them utility knife sharp and that even the Stanleys are an upgrade and especially the Stanley Sweetheart ones are, are a significant upgrade, um, which is pretty good information. Good to know. So, I mean, if you get those cheap chisels, you may not you may not want to blame yourself or your sharpening skills for their performance because sometimes it really can just be the steel. Exactly. Yeah, and, you know, when people people complain about the cost of premium chisels, a lot of times it's the stuff you can't see, mm-hmm. like the quality, the metallurgy that goes into them. There's There's yeah. a lot of science behind all this that makes them really, really good chisels. Good point. All right, let's move to our voicemail. We have one here from Michael in L.A., and uh, here we go. Hey, Wood Talk Brethren. This is Mike from Los Angeles with a question for you uh, about every woodworker's favorite topic, which is duct work. I, uh, I have a Clearview Cyclone and no duct work. I used a design service, uh, and they laid out everything uh, with NordFab products, and uh, I understand that they're... Um, you know, the pros of NordFab, but it is expensive. Uh, I wanted to know, uh, I think Mark has NordFab. Uh, is it worth it? Also, um, are there any cheaper alternatives I should be looking at that wouldn't uh, affect the performance of the system overall? 
And uh, if I go with Norfab, are there certain things I can get away with uh, buying cheaper, uh, I guess, like glass gates and, and little things? Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, hope everything is great. See ya. It is great, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, much better today than it was yesterday. I'll, I'll admit that. It's good. Yeah, good to know. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Nordfab is uh, is stuff that I have in the shop for sure, and it is amazing. It's amazing, I would say. Ooh. And the thing with the Nordfab, he's right, it, it's expensive. And if you've ever installed ductwork before, you just kind of have to decide. I mean, because here's the thing. Once ductwork is up, you usually don't ever have to worry about it uh, unless you want to move something. So if it's installed properly, it won't be a problem. It, but it really does hurt <laughs> when you're putting it up <laughs> if it's not fun to install. So Nordfab, the magic of it is you basically clamp the pieces together. And even if you have to cut a piece, you just drill a hole. You cut it with a, I used a, um, a metal blade in um, my jigsaw, uh, cut it. And then you put this little add-on sleeve and it's called a nipple, which is awesome. And right yeah. Does it have two, three? Just one nipple per. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and then you clamp it back in. And so the thing is, I mean, you could expand it so easily. Nothing is together with screws. It's all using this um, ingenious clamping system and there's no interior obstruction. Uh, it really is the, the high end of the high end. Is it absolutely necessary? No, there's of course other options out there that you could, uh, you could rely on. Um, but to answer his question, if you have Nordfab as your primary ductwork, can you get other cheaper brand things like blast gates? You might be able to cobble something together, but I would not recommend it because of the way the Nordfab system works and you join two pieces with this rolled steel edge. Um, I would not recommend trying to cobble something together with that system. It really, really is intended to work with its own internal like set of parts. So all the parts, elbows, wise, you're going to want to stick with them. Now, if you don't want to do that, there are other options out there. Where I used to get my stuff is from Penn State Industries. They seem to have some of the best pricing. They sell both premium ductwork, which is going to be the rigid spiral ductwork style material, and then they have their flat-packed snap lock, and they call it economy ductwork. It's 26 gauge. Uh, So it's not that typically if you go to HVAC supply, you're going to get piping that's like 28 or 30 um, it's a lot thinner. This stuff is 26, so it will hold up to just about anything you could uh, need to do with it. But it is not as sturdy as the premium stuff, but it, it's much better pricing. I think you can get like a five pack. And what would that be? Maybe 25 feet. And I think it's like $75. Let me, t- let me just double check on that price. Six inch, 25 feet, economy slap lock pipe, five pack of five foot pipes, 26 gauge, 80 bucks. Oh, so, not bad. Yeah, so it's not too bad. You get 25 feet of a run for 80 bucks versus what the, I, I honestly don't even know off the top of my head what the Nordfab cost is, but it's going to be more than 80 bucks for an equivalent right. linear <laughs> length of pipe. Well, just for a little bit of perspective, just because I've never done this, how many feet, say, like, because Mark, you've got like the beast of a shop. Do you know offhand how many feet of pipe you needed? Uh, I don't know specifically, but we can kind of do the math real quick. The The pipe doesn't go for more than half of my shop, and the shop is 60 right. feet long. So the main line is about 30 feet, and there's a few branches. And those branches don't take more than one pipe each. Right. Um, so I would say it's no more than 50 feet for, for right. what That's I what used. I was thinking, you know, because the idea is to have one kind of central line. Yeah. So even if it ran the whole length of the shop, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're working in, you know, the freaking Coliseum, 
Um, it seems like the quantity is not that high. Not for so, the straight pipe. Where where they get you is all the connectors, the Ys, yeah, the elbows. elbows and Ys, I'm sure. uh, it's a nightmare. And the blast gates. So I, I totally understand. I feel his pain. But um, if you can swing it, the Nord Fab is going to be Trey Fab. Oh, nice. Well, you know, and, and the nice main side. thing is really this is an area that you, you don't want to scrimp on when it comes to dust collection. Yeah, you know, because yeah. it's definitely not only for your own health, but also the performance and the tools themselves. I mean, let's get serious. Mm-hmm. Nothing is worse than when you're working on a table saw and you have such horrible dust collection that it's just shooting back up in your face, basically. Totally. Yeah. But, so, but I think, Mark, what you're saying is performance wise may not be that big of a deal. It's more just on the install, right? Yeah, I'm sure someone can do a test that would show that the NordFab outperforms SnapLock if you were just doing a side-by-side because there's just less in terms of restrictions and, and where each piece right. meets a fitting uh, in, in the, the, the economy stuff, you're going to actually have interior obstructions and that's going to be a problem. So yeah, in the long true. run, yes, there will be an impact. How great? I don't know how to quantitate that myself, but that's not to say that you can't use the economy stuff and get a good run. Um, in the old shop, part of it was my design. I just made too many tight turns, and, and it was uh, it was just a crappy install, so that was a big part of my problem, but part of it was also the obstructions created by using the economy ductwork. Uh, so it was kind of interesting in the, uh, the video that I, I just finished up for safety day, I show my jointer having just, it was this actually just after the shop was complete, the jointer still had caked dust in it. So I connected the new system, everything was together, and I turned it on and just watched all this caked on uh, <laughs> sawdust that was inside the jointer just going boom, 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 out from inside the chute. Uh, so it was a significant difference compared to what I had in the old shop versus what I have now. And it's the same, it's the same unit. It's the Clearview CV 1800. So, you know, it's the same amount of force pulling air, air movement pulling, but it's just the efficiency of the ductwork made a huge, huge difference. Wow. Cool. Okay. So that's enough about boring ductwork. Uh, let's move into our emails. The first one we have here is from Tom. He says, I'm looking at a European style table saw hammer. If you must know, he said that almost a little snotty. What's up with that? Tom? Yeah. Yeah, no wow. what's wrong with Felder? I mean, I mean geez. well, yeah, and it's not even like we asked. <laughs> you, would you be like walking around with your pinky up in the air the whole entire time? Hammer, what's happening here, Tom? Hammer, if you must know. Um, sorry about that, Tom. Please write. I'd like to have my biscuits and tea out in the shop. <laughs> and I'm wondering, what are the advantages of a uh, of the European style saw? Uh, safety, perhaps no sleds, fewer jigs. Uh, just wondering what this what the boiled down reason might be for considering them. Generally, they are more expensive, but they look to be a better quality and their claims of better repeatable accuracy. What's your two cents? Uh, you know, the thing is for me, there are a lot of advantages to it, but there are some things you really need to think about before you you jump into the, the Euro table saw world. Uh, just to kind of to get through these real quick, if you're working with sheet goods, it's a great thing. I mean, those things are built to knock down uh, large sheet goods. You've got that big slider built into right. it, which is big always great. Capacity on the sliding table. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of them have scoring blades on them included, so you can get really nice clean cuts. Uh, they're generally just more industrial in nature and in their build style, so they're going to be very well built. Good dust collection, typically a braking motor. And generally, because of the way you use them, they're considered to be safer than what we typically use for American cabinet saws. Uh, but the things to be concerned about are number one, you may not be able to use your current set of blades if you have a regular American-style 5 eighths arbor table saw. Uh, some of the arbors are different sizes, and then there's also pin uh, configurations that can be used for some of these blades on the Euro saws. So you would either have to get your old saw blades remilled or get new ones. 
they typically have a very large footprint, so you've got to have the space. Uh, you may not be able to cut dados on them in Europe. Uh, Europe, that you can't use dado blades, so these saws typically don't come out of the box with the option to run a dado. But uh, Felder, I believe, has a special dado cutter, and Minimax lets you use a regular dado set, but not all the companies do, so you're going to have to look into that. Um, and if you're used to American saws and all the things that we do with American saws, with add-ons, cross-cut sleds, mods, um, there's probably going to be a significant adjustment period as you get used to doing equivalent things or finding other ways to do those things on the European saw. So yes to everything you said, safety, no, sl- uh, you know, fewer sleds, fewer jigs, but it's going to take some getting used to. So you, there's a lot of pros and cons to it. I don't think it's a definite slam dunk uh must have for every woodworker, <laughs> but it's something you you might want to consider. All right. I really said that the the whole entire time you're talking about American style style saws, I kept like hearing Long Duck Dong from uh, Sixteen Candles. Go, oh, my American style table saw. <laughs> Sorry, that total tangent. There. That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> oh, redeem yourself and answer Dan's question. <laughs> All right, let's see. We, I don't know if that's going to help out much, but <laughs> here <you> goes. <laughs> So uh, Dan was at, saying, I'm planning to build a solid maple rubo style workbench complete with a leg vise and a tail vise. And I'm stuck on whether I should put round holes or square holes in it for holding projects. Heritas offers various accessories for round holes, but most of the traditional benches I see have square holes. What do you suggest? You know, I have always had just the round holes and I have never, ever, ever, ever really had an issue with them. I know that there, this seems to be or maybe it used to be not so much anymore. I don't really hear much about it. There used to be two camps on this, that the square hole people would never imagine using a round hole and the round holes always just thought the square hole people were just square as it is. Um, <laughs> I really this used don't to be know. One of those really contentious things. And I don't know what happened to it. People just yeah. gave up, I guess. It may, maybe that's exactly what it is. Maybe Veritas just flooded the market with a round hole once. <laughs> the other ones just gave up and said, we're done with it. We're going to round <laughs> these things off. Um, I, in in my mind, you know, uh, when I think of the, of the, the square ones, one advantage, I guess, might be, and I've run into this with my round ones, is depending on what I'm doing, I have actually had them kind of start turning a little bit while I'm actually, like, say, planing up against them or something. This is usually when I'm dealing with very thin stock and yeah, it might just be my technique or something. And that's a very unusual thing. I don't think I've ever heard anybody else complain about that. Mm. So the way I look at it is the round holes – once you have the bench put together, they seem like they're so much easier to create more holes as you need them. Say you'll discover for some reason in the middle of the bench or a little bit further off, you want to have yet another, say, parallel hole to the one at the front there. It's a lot easier, it seems like, to do uh, the create a, yet another round hole versus creating another square one where, sure, you can drill it, maybe chisel it out a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and get something like that. But I just... It, to me, it almost comes down to like personal preference. Mm-hmm. Mark, you have square dog holes, right? I do. Yeah. Have you tried using a hold fast in those? Uh, no. I'm just wondering because I was just going to say I love having the round dog holes because it yeah. makes the dogs and my hold fast interchangeable, and I'm constantly using my row of dog holes to put a hold fast in. And it, I, I don't necessarily want to say you can't do that in a square hole because it seems like the hold fast post would still kink. In the hole, it just may not hold as well. I don't think mine would. I think they would just drop down, and uh, I mean that that might be tricky. But that's a good question. Uh, let me go but, check. Hold on. I mean, every <laughs> every day I use my bench, I'm basically using that row of dog holes to put a you know uh, a hold fast in, just because 
it's you know it's all lined up right there on the front edge of the bench yeah right and it just makes things a little bit easier the rotation thing yeah i think that happens but i think that only happens if the board is at an angle itself yeah it, it's very minimal i mean <laughs> I, I could maybe count the number of times it's happened on two fingers so if that kind of gives anybody you know an idea with that one and and the fact that there are just so many more accessories with it you know it, well, yeah. it really to me just kind of seems like it's the cool thing to do <laughs> Well, and they're they're super easy to create, you know, yep. compared to making square dogs. Uh, and it's just, I mean, just Veritas alone has a ton of accessories that you can you can use for it. Um, I actually, since I have square, I do have round holes in there specifically for my holdfasts. Okay. Um, you know, so it's the, so those are easy enough to add. You know, when I did it, I just wanted I just wanted to go more traditional with my bench, so I have nothing at all against round dog holes. I don't think round and square really makes any true practical impact uh, in your work. I think the round ones, in a way, are more user-friendly. They're easier to, to put in, and you've got more accessories. So if someone were thinking one way might be better than the other, I'd actually say round might be better, um, even though I have square. Well, you know, yeah. you made a very good point there. There, there it, it doesn't really have an impact on, on how you're using them. The main thing is whichever one you go to, you're going to have the same result. It's going gonna, it's gonna to act as a stop for you, or it's going to help to pinch something in between uh, – the dog and say mm-hmm. the tail vice or something so it, yeah again it, it it just to me it's almost a convenience thing now that since there are so many accessories to it this would be a really great topic for people to send us stuff on in kickback to see what other people are thinking about it sure well i'm just thinking of the the work i do at the museum we have traditional german benches there and they're square dog holes and i can't think of like oh this is totally different you know wow right. what an amazing difference i i can't wouldn't be able if i close my eyes i wouldn't know so maybe that's why this conversation kind of died off. <laughs> I realized, just realized, this is stupid. Let's move on to something else. There's no point in discussing this anymore. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, so let's see. Um, Mike wrote to us and said, to your knowledge, do sawmills regularly quarter saw species other than oak? If so, where does it all go? Or do they just flat saw everything because there's less waste that way? I ask because it seems that quarter sawn lumber is the panacea for wood movement issues. Ooh, good word usage. Given its stability, I would expect there should be demand for quarter sawn lumber, regardless of species. However, I can only regularly find it in oak, sycamore, and domestic beech. Uh, The big issue, Mike, is the waste. Um, There is a significant amount of waste when you quarter saw a board. Um, the second issue is it is, um, I don't want to say it's a little bit more difficult, but not any schmo can do it well. Um, it does require some forethought in the layout. It does require a more experienced Sawyer to do it. And what it more importantly does is it requires different setups. And the sawmills we have here are cranking lumber out, like by the truckload every minute. And to have to kind of slow down and make change a setting every time you run the board through there, it um, increases waste, but it also increases the time it takes to saw that. So they're losing money in both sides of the, the coin there. Generally, uh, Oak has uh, certainly because of the arts and crafts movement and because of the Rayfleck pattern, there's kind of a micro market that's spun up around white Oak specifically for quarter sawn species but there really is not that small market demand in the other species other than maybe some of the softwoods um, like vertical grain cedar and vertical grain dug fir. 
um, which, you know, you and I know that as quarter sawn, but in the industry, they call it vertical grain, vertical grain teak sometimes. But most of the time when you find quarter sawn cherry or something like that, it's just the byproduct. When you flat saw a board, you are going to end up with quarter sawn segments, either side of the pith. You know, you'll have De, uh, uh, what's the variations are uh, of quarter sawn into riff sawn, then out into flat sawn. Um, the same thing as you move in towards the center of the log. So you end up with it. I guess the reason you never see it is, um, <laughs> well, I go back to the original point. By the time the lumber lands on the retail lumber rack, it's been picked over like 15 times by bigger industry. So <laughs> um, the really, you know, quarter sawn boards look nice. They look really nice. Great straight vertical grain. And uh, the the flooring guys and the millwork guys and door and window manufacturers, uh, big ones in the door and window manufacturers because they need stability or mm-hmm. your window won't open. So they take it all. Um, that's just the way it is. Um, if you wanted to find more quarter sawn, the best thing to do is go to a nice local mill, like a mom and pop type organization, a guy with a wood miser, um, and they will saw a log for you. Now, generally, you have to buy the whole log. Um, the other thing is take a look at some of the exotics because some of the exotics like Sapili are so big. The trees themselves are huge. Um, they can get wider quarter sawn boards out of it and they will actually quarter saw specifically quarter saw some of the boards because they don't lose quite so much. And there's less to little sap in some of those species. So, um, the other big species that comes to mind is sapili. Quartersan sapili for that ribbon stripe is uh, really, really popular. So cool. My two cents. All right. Uh, we've got a question here from Richard. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, after many years with the same table saw blade, it's time to spring for a new one. I have traditionally used a narrow curved blade for one reason. It's what I had. Any thoughts on the advantages and disadvantage of, of uh, regular versus thin curved blades? Looking at the forest blades, they have a stabilizer. Is this a must have? Uh, this is interesting. I just read not too long ago an article from Fine Woodworking, which is in their membership section, so it's not free. So I probably won't put a link up there to it, but <laughs> <clears throat> it's uh, by Roland Johnson. And he's basically saying that thin curve blades are for everybody, that the technology has improved enough on these blades that no longer do we have the whole stability and poor cut quality argument that used to be present for, for thin curve blades. Stabilizers just generally don't seem to be necessary anymore. I had one when I used to run a forest blade because uh, I bought it off a buddy of mine and, and he gave me the stabilizer with it. And I used the stabilizer, but I could never tell a difference and then eventually stopped using it. So I wouldn't even bother with it, especially with the quality that you're going to get with a forest blade. It's, you know, I, I don't even know why they sell it. But anyway, um, so generally speaking, it sounds like Thin curved blades are, are not just for underpowered saws anymore that uh, even Roland himself at the end of this article says that even though he has a three horsepower saw that has handled standard uh, curved blades with no problem for years, he sees no reason not to switch to a thin curved blade because it's less strain huh. on the motor. Uh, you could cut thicker woods. There are certain points, even with a powerful saw, where if your blade is all the way up and you're cutting, I don't know, whatever the thickest capacity is that you can do with it, that you may actually... Uh, trip the breaker, stall the motor. You may do you know some damage that way. But with a thin curved blade, you won't have that problem. You're just removing less meat, and the blade or the uh, motor doesn't have to work as hard. So you can actually get your full capacity in cutting very very thick hardwoods. Um, so that's something to think about. If you can get the safety devices to go with it, a riving knife or a splitter that matches the thin curve, and you could be just as safe using that. 
there's a big uh, there's a good argument for actually going with a higher quality thin curve blade, regardless of your motor power. Interesting. Yeah. See, that's I what I, I apparently I always had just the not so great thin curve blades, and <laughs> I absolutely hated them. I loved it that first because it did give my that that little extra boost or what felt like a little extra boost to the underpowered mm-hmm. saw that I had, but. At some point, it was just those really the really cheapy ones. They flex yeah, I think that's so the bad. Key. Yeah, that's the key there because I had the same kind of. I bought the thin curve because that was what you were supposed to do. You know, if you mm-hmm. got a contractor style saw, and that thing was just junk. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't even remember the brand, but I bought it at Home Depot. That ought to tell you something. It's same here, exactly. And, you you know, can almost so hear it I, wobbling in the wind. Right. So <laughs> I figured, well, I'm going to get the woodworker too because Mark Spagnolo says I should have the woodworker too. And um, I said that. You know, I thought, well, then, you know, this thin curve thing is stupid. So I went to the full size one and it was such an amazing difference that I thought it had to do with the thickness of the blade. Hmm. Did you well, guys see, <clears throat> did, excuse me, did you see the uh, Infinity's laser thin curve saw blade? No, I, I think I, I saw an ad for it. I haven't looked too, too far into it because it's like one of those don't look you'll want. <laughs> it's is it even, really thin or does it come with a laser? <laughs> yes, it just comes one with one of those answers I'm really excited about. It's a regular blade. It just comes with a little laser pointer. Um, yeah, it's actually super thin. It's about the thickness of a penny is the uh, the what? curve that it leaves. And it, and it has, it looks like a stabilizer built in. This one is thin enough to warrant some kind of a stabilizer. So I don't know if this one is like welded to the plate. Or if you have, if it's just an add-on thing, but I, um, I remember seeing something in my inbox about that, and I'm looking at the YouTube video right now. I don't know how it performs, I don't know how well it works, but it's a super, super thin curve. I bet um, it sounds cool. Yeah, got to be like really high pitched, and yeah. Heck, the name alone sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> well, something to consider. All right, hey, let's move on to this next one. This one's from Tom, and Tom says, "My wife bought me a." bought me a piece of curly koa while she was in Hawaii. Now, usually when people go on vacations, all I get is a lousy T-shirt. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to get the most out of this expensive piece of wood, so I'm going to cut it into veneer, but I'm concerned about cleaning up the faces. I can see tear-out on the wood from the mill, so I'm scared to put it on my jointer or planer for fear of getting more tear-out and ruining a layer or two of veneer. This may be an excuse to buy that Lee Nielsen 4.5 smoother. Do you think it will work? Do I need to also buy a second 55-degree frog or a toothed blade? This would be stretching the budget, so a not-so-wide belt sander is probably out of the question. Any thoughts and suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Tom, I'm just going to tell you right now, I am not going to be the reason why your wife is angry at us by Mm -hmm. saying, yeah, go ahead and buy those tools. Um, (laughs) My first thought was, you know, a, a really easy trick and I hate to use the word trick, but it really kind of is that if you're concerned about tear out, one way to kind of minimize it, say if you're running it through your jointer or your planer, is uh, cover the surface uh, with just like some mineral spirits, something to dampen the uh, the fibers. And you will actually that will help to even further minimize mm. some of the tear out. You know, it's a it's a it's a nice little trick to use with, say, some of the uh, um curlier woods or any, anything where you're going to have a lot of figure in there. It's not going to eliminate all of it, but you might actually find that it could help to, you know, minimize what you're going to get in there because I can totally see if you've got a great piece and you do want to cut it into some veneers um, that, you know, you do want to get the most out of it, which then makes me think, well, why not just cut it into the veneers? And then once you get those, you use those veneers, you put them in place and just take a very light scraping to them or something. Maybe once you get those in position, I don't know. I, I haven't worked with, uh, made that many veneers of my own, or worked with them that much, but at, at a certain point, if you really want to kind of conserve it, I guess, you know, cut it to 
what about an eighth of an inch? Maybe that's actually being a little too too heavy. Yeah, no, that's about right. That's a good yeah, starting and then, point. Yeah, and then once you once you get it in position, once you get it all glued to its you know it, it, its uh, underlayment more or less, then just kind of come in and, and clean it up there. Because an eighth of an inch that's going to give you a, a decent amount of material that if you're going to sand it or, or scrape it, you know mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about it too much. Well, you know, and he's he's worried that the joiner is going to cause tear out. But the problem is he hasn't tried it yet. So, right. uh, you know, you just there's times where, it, yeah, it might look like it's going to, but it might actually joint fairly well. So it's I would say is not a difficult wood. Yeah, well, I've worked with it a fair amount and it, it's not real super hard and real brittle. So, yeah. well, I would say if okay. he just brings the bed up a little bit. So he's taking a very, very light cut just go. so he could be cautious about it. See how it behaves before you, you pass judgment, because not that I want to take away your excuse for buying a new plane. <laughs> right. But try, to answer that try question, this first, yes, it will work. So go buy it. <laughs> yeah. Try this first. And if it doesn't, then go, you know what, honey, I don't have a choice. I have to go with the four and a half. <laughs> I mean, the guys told me that if I did this, there's a good chance it would probably help out. So, you know, that might might work. But, again, try not to link it back to us. We already get enough hate mail. That's it. All right. You're up, Shannon. Let's see. This is from Don. Uh, He says, I've been given a maple tree with a large burl to harvest. Uh, We plan to cut the tree down shortly, and we will leave several feet either end of the burl. The question is how to process this thing. What is the best way to instruct the sawmill to... Uh, cut this for making book match tabletops and such. I actually had someone at Woodcraft suggest I make a bowl out of it. Seriously? LOL, wood turners. What a scary lot. <laughs> this is Don saying this. These are not the, the views of the wood talk. Show, although he's got a point. So what do you think? Plain song, quarter song, and how thick? Eight quarter, 12 quarter? Don. Well, <clears throat> most of the people, I, I, I've never seen burls cut up. We don't run across them at the lumber uh, yard, but I know a guy up in Pennsylvania who uh, had the same issue. He's a furniture maker up in Lidditz, PA, and he's got this enormous, like eight foot wide cherry burl. And um, he flat sawed it because what you need to think about here, there is no grain direction in a burl. Mm-hmm. It's, it's every direction. So there really is no such thing as flat sawn or quarter sawn in a burl. So what you're focusing on is yield. And the biggest yield, the widest board you can get is by flat sawing it. So flat saw the whole dang thing. Um, it, it will not make a difference. It is um, literally, I kid you not, the grain's running every direction at the same time. Yeah, they're That's really, an, it so it's cool. a real anomaly in the wood world. I mean, it's, it, right. it's a growth, you know, it's, it, it's a f- um, freaky thing. As far as how thick you want to cut it, 12 quarter is really hard to dry. Um, one of the reasons you don't find 12 quarter in any species very much is kiln drying is a real science and it can cause a lot of problems. Air drying, it takes for flipping ever. Um, unless you are making, think you're going to make something that's going to require thickness that much, um, or you have the capability to resaw. Uh, I don't know how wide this burl is. I mean, eight quarter, I think you're fine. I really don't think you want to go any thinner than that because mm-hmm. of the fact that the grain is so nuts. Um, as it dries, you know, all bets are off, which brings you to the other point. Once you do have it sawn, I recommend sticking and stacking it and weighting it down or banding it to try to control some of that movement. Cause that stuff is going to go nuts as it dries. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Uh, who me? Yeah, me, right? Yeah. Okay. You sorry. Clinton has a question. I've been working for about 18 months now and woodworking. <laughs> It's like, oh, congratulations on getting a job. 
I've been woodworking for about 18 months now, and I've found that at least 80% of my projects seem to be things for my workshop. Am I the only woodworker that struggles with actually producing functional, usable furniture for the house or better half? How do you guys keep on track and find the time to stop trying to perfect your workshop and get on to making such nice stuff? Clinton. That's a great uh, question. Have you seen my stuff? Uh, I wouldn't call say, that nice. Do you even listen to this show? <laughs> <laughs> on today's show, we're going to be talking about building stuff for the shop again. Um, I think the thing is, it's an ongoing struggle um, for, for a lot of woodworkers because your shop space is a functional space and you're constantly thinking about ways to improve that functional space and you spend a lot of time in there. Sometimes just moving something around can make a huge difference in your efficiency. So I think a lot of us just have that bug, uh, the hobby side of things that makes us want to improve the space, whether it's building something or just moving things around. Uh, the thing is, eventually, me personally, I feel guilty if I don't build a project for a certain period of time. And that comes from, you know, not just, uh, you know, family pressure or people expecting me to build projects, but that, that's coming from the website and the content production side of things. I can't just build shop furniture all the time because then people will get very bored of the stuff that I put on my website. Uh, so I have to build real furniture. Um, but I but I know exactly what he's talking about. You do get into that that grind where all you're really focusing on is how do you keep improving the shop but uh, i don't know i mean part of the thing is you really just need to find a piece of furniture that gets you so excited that you want to build it you know and it's more important to you than building that sharpening stand or whatever it is that you're going to make i think the key there too is he said he's been woodworking for 18 months that's kind of that sweet spot Mm -hmm. you've kind of got your feet wet you're excited about it and enough that you see all the like inefficiency around you yeah so that's all you're focusing on we don't, and sometimes it's it's while I'm actually building a project that I start realizing, you know, I should have been spending less time worrying about that shop project and maybe working on something else <laughs> that would be helping me out with more projects like what I'm doing right now, you know. And, and so then that way, when I finish up the project, all right, now I'm in between. I, I want something that's going to be a quick fix. Okay, now I'll do my shop accessories so that when I go to do this next project, I'll feel better about it because now I have something that's actually working for me. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think ultimately just keep looking at furniture online, you know, go look at uh, images of, of things that people are building. Look at some of the galleries out there and wait for something to really hit you. Something you'll see something and you'll go, I really want to try to build that. And Thank that you. will become your priority. Yep. Uh, inspiration makes a big difference. That but- or a family member or friend with cash saying, <laughs> I will give you some of this if you make that. A paying job. <laughs> a paying job is quite motivating. No yes, doubt about it. it. All right. So if you, uh, if you're an iTunes user, do you know you could leave us a review and people what? do that? Yeah. It's like they can actually go there and say things about us and we can't stop them. I'm going to do it right wow. now. I'm going to say so much about the two of you. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So a couple people did that. They went into iTunes. There's a little ratings and reviews button. If you look us up, just look for Wood Talk in the iTunes store. And uh, we want to say thank you to Anorvel, Anorvel, Mako Jeff, and Greg McKenna, who had this to say. If you ever have been called a geek, nerd, or dork and not really been offended, give these guys a listen. These guys enjoy woodworking and podcasting, and it shows through as they give us information, humor, and help. Thank you, Greg. That's so nice. I hear all those things every day before I even drop the kids off, and that's in the car when it's just the three of us. (laughs) Dad, you're a dork. (laughs) You're such a geek. All right. Uh, Remember, today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com and hardwood to go at Hardwood2Go.com. Uh, we also have a recurring donation thing set up, so if you want to support the show, you could do that with a very modest amount of cashola. 
just uh, $2, $5, or $10 a month, or you can make a one-time donation. Just look in the left-hand column of the woodtalkshow.com homepage, and you could do that. We always appreciate the support. And a special thanks to Rick, Jacob, Adam, and James, who all helped us out with uh, some generous donations. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And yes, Matt, thank you. how about some of that sweet contact info? All right. Well, hey, folks, if you have a comment, a question, maybe a topic suggestion, maybe something you want to throw there in the, the kickback area. You know, we were talking about those round or square dog holes. Which side of the <laughs> fence do you sit on? Mm-hmm. Uh, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a comment over on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And you know what, folks, if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And you can even leave comments over there, too, on any of those episodes. Preferably nice comments, but we understand sometimes you get a little cranky. (laughs) So that's true. That happens. Um, And Shannon just brought up a a good point. Safety Day. (laughs) Thank you, Shannon. (laughs) Is coming up on May 1st. Woodworker Safety Day. It's the first time we're we're changing over from, uh, we mentioned this last time, from Woodworker Safety Week to Woodworking Safety Day. And that actually will be on our show day. It's on May 1st. So maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll try and focus on safety that day. That would be appropriate, right? Yeah. Maybe the more safe thing is just... Just not to do a show. Oh, that would be cool. Maybe that that would be safe. Maybe we'll try to do that. I mean, call-in shows are always a disaster, so let's give that a shot. Yeah. Um, Well, I meant leave them. Oh, that. But yeah, call in too. (laughs) Yeah, that's a call us while you're actually making a cut on the table saw. Let us know how that's going. Yes. Perfect. Excellent. Uh, Yeah. Actually, if you do call and leave a a voicemail, that's always better because then we can organize it and get everything in the show. Um, So yeah, and look up the answers. That's true too. That's always helpful. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. So safety day next week. We look forward to it and we will catch you then. See you later, folks. See ya. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.